Peter, um, what biohacking? Are you in the hyperbaric chamber? Are you in the sauna? You gotta do. You gotta be doing something today, Peter. No, I want to go in the hyperbaric chamber. I was gonna go in, but I got uh, kind of tied up with some stuff, and so I just finished breakfast. I ate a little later than normal and lost track of the time. I, I'm taking a break from the hyperbaric chamber. It's got a pain in my ear, so I'm taking like a month break and getting my ear checked. Uh, so, so that one's a pause, but I'm in the sauna now. And then uh, probably I'll just finish my gym session as well. Yeah, I finished so my we'll, sauna. We'll I did a half hour sauna earlier this morning and I did my uh, uh, cryo chamber. Oh, nice. Yeah, I I've skipped cryo for a while. just way too cold. So I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit lazy on that one, um, but I'll probably get it started again today. It was good to have you again, sir. Okay, what's up? Well, actually, I want to know if Peter what's has up? the bunker. Peter, do you have a, uh, have you built a bunker yet for the apocalypse and does it have a moat of fire around it? Cause that's what we were talking about right before you got here. You know, that's funny. I mean, I haven't, but my wife is bugging me every day about, uh, about building a bunker. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm that paranoid. Um, but she's also saying I should get one of these silent yachts that just works, uh, all on, um, on, uh, solar. So we can be self-sufficient at sea. So that's also a possibility. One thing, I, only thing I don't like about those solar yachts is they don't go that fast. <laughs> but, you know, I guess if it's an apocalypse, you're not really in a hurry to get anywhere. Yeah, you might be you're pretty psyched to be stuck wherever you are. <laughs> well, we're in the Caribbean most of the time right now in Puerto Rico, so. They're worse places, certainly. So should we actually talk about serious things now, Mario? Good idea, Scott. Now that it's 1047. So, so Peter, um, what do you make of gold's movement at the moment? And what do you make of the sort of net outflows you're seeing in the gold ETFs at the moment? Well, you know, I think the sentiment is very negative in gold. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of hardcore guys that still believe in the trade but they're frustrated by how long they're waiting. I mean, remember, gold gold was below $300 an ounce uh, when this uh, you know millennium began in, in 2000. And, and so from 300, 300 to over 2000, that's a big move. In fact, gold prices have outperformed the stock market you know over that, that time period. So gold had a big move up and, and then it moved it's gone sideways for a long time. And that's what's been frustrating because gold is 2000 today or a little bit over, and it was just a little under 2000 at its peak in 2011. So it's been a dozen years of consolidation. Meanwhile, we've had a lot of inflation, you know, a lot, you know, QE1, 2, and 3, 0% interest rates. People would have thought that a lot of inflation, you know, price inflation would result from that and more money would go into gold. And, and so far, it really hasn't. And I think the main reason for that, apart from the fact that, you know, we did need to digest those gains, is that the big money, the institutional money that might otherwise bid up the gold price, as well as, you know, more individuals, they still have confidence in the Fed that inflation is not going to be a problem, that the Fed is going to raise interest rates as high as they have to and leave them there as long as they have to, to assure that inflation uh, stays at 2%. And to the extent that investors actually believe this fiction, uh, that has been a big headwind for gold because the perception is, well, it means higher rates and that means gold prices aren't going to go up uh, and there's not any real inflation. Uh, so people aren't buying gold, although inflation continues. I mean, you can really see that uh, from the gold mining companies that keep reporting bad earnings because the cost of mining keeps going up so much due to the inflation that nobody thinks exists. Uh, so I do think, though, that sometime soon, the pretense that the Fed has the ability or even you know the desire to control inflation is going to end because it's going to the, the Fed's uh, inflation fight is going to come in sharp contrast to its other mandate of employment or its unhidden mandate about financial stability or, you know, financing U.S. government debt. Uh, I think we're going to have a banking crisis. I think it's already started a financial crisis, a sovereign debt crisis. I think all these things are going to cause 
uh, renewed quantitative easing, uh, we're going to have a resurgence in the CPI that is not going to be met with any additional rate hikes. Uh, I think it's going to be apparent that inflation is here to stay. And, and then you're going to see a massive movement into gold. And it probably will start before that. But that, you know, th- that um, understanding and that acknowledgement will fuel, I think, a parabolic increase to kind of catch up, you know, because gold should be a lot higher than it is. It's just being mispriced due to the outlook uh, that the world has, the benign outlook for inflation that is incorrect. You actually pointed out that people aren't buying it and institutions aren't necessarily buying it, but we do know that central banks are buying it, correct? I mean, shouldn't that be the uh, better indicator? Yes, yeah, central banks are buying, and the buy, the banks that are buying the most, the central banks, are the big exporters, the emerging markets and the countries that are exporting goods, and they're taking their surpluses and they're moving them into gold. And if you look at countries you know, like China, for example, the gold reserves that they have is just a tiny part of their overall reserves, maybe you know, 3 or 4%, at least officially. Whereas the United States, 70% of our reserves are in gold. Uh, but these smaller countries still have a lot of gold that they need to buy and that they could buy. Uh, and especially if the world is going to continue in a de-dollarization trend, which I believe will continue and accelerate, when you de-dollarize, by definition, you have to do something with your dollars. And to me, it doesn't make sense if I'm you know, China or Russia or Saudi Arabia or India or anybody. And if I'm worried about having my reserves in dollars because the U.S. may retaliate, why move them to euros where the ECB can retaliate or pounds where the Bank of England or, you know. So if you want to have your reserves in a monetary asset that no other government uh, can uh, weaponize, then gold is the only alternative. You know, and so I think that that's what de-dollarization means. It means that you're going back to gold because the dollar replaced gold. Gold was the reserve before the dollar. And so if you're going to get rid of the dollar, you just return to gold. And that's that's what they're doing. And so there's just tremendous buying, because if you look at the percent of the world's gold supply that's owned by central banks, even after all this buying, it's still very low. So they still have, um, you know, a lot of buying to go. Uh, and, and, and so the price is only going to go up, especially when the foreign central banks have to compete with institutions and private investors who are tremendously underinvested in gold. I mean, a lot of institutions, endowments, pension funds have zero allocation to gold. You know, once upon a time, it was standard to have a gold allocation in a portfolio. So I think that, you know, everything old is new again. And I think that you're going to see uh, a return to gold as a you know portion of a portfolio whether it's 5% or 10% or something, you know, that's a big move to go from zero, especially when you're talking about 5 or 10% of a big number. Right. And the 60-40 portfolio, we know, kind of in the past few years had one of its historically worst uh, periods. But how did we get on that 60-40 portfolio in the first place? Why do registered investment advisors and and institutions, why don't they now view hard assets as an important part of their portfolio? Listen to somewhere that gold bugs and Bitcoiners can okay. all agree that whether you agree on the asset or not, I think we can all agree that 60-40 doesn't work and you need to own some kind of hard asset, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, as I don't know where the allocation came from. Uh, it used to be a function of your age, like you'd start with 100. So if you're 60 years old, you're 60% stocks and 40% bonds. If you're 80 years old, you're 80% bonds and 20%. It was like the inverse of your age. I don't know where the you know, 60, 40 became the number. But yeah, for 2022 was the worst year ever for that portfolio because bonds got killed and stocks went down at the same time. So you didn't get a hedge. In fact, in many cases, bonds lost more value than stocks. So you actually lost more on the conservative part of your portfolio than you did on what's considered the more aggressive part. But you know, I agree, and I have agreed for a long time, that when you have overvalued stocks and overvalued bonds, 60-40 portfolio makes no sense. I mean, you're just 
allocating among two overvalued assets. Um, and, and so I, 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 I think that you, know, that you should have more of an equity-based portfolio, but you can invest in uh, the type of equities that are in most of these portfolios because they're so expensive. Uh, the PEs are ridiculous. The dividend yields are too low. So what we advise our clients to do, we invest mostly in value-oriented foreign stocks that pay high dividends. The dividends that we collect on most stocks exceed the interest that we can get on most bonds. And we're underweighting bonds because I think worldwide, bonds are still not yielding enough. Now, at some point, you know, when the yields move up, I, I, I can change my mind. But I still think bonds are not accurately reflecting future inflation, not just in America, but around the world. So I want to have a, a portfolio more concentrated in equities. And for the, you know, a risk adverse portion, I'd prefer to own gold, you know, because I don't think, you know, to get a, a four or five percent yield on on bonds uh, in a high inflation risk environment, I'd rather just hold gold, you know, than, than hold than hold bonds, even though you're giving up the income. Uh, I think your purchasing power is is far more secure. And I think, you know, there'll be a lot less volatility. I mean, gold prices were down a bit in in, in 2022, but a lot less than stocks and bonds. I want to circle back to your points on de-dollarization. It's an interesting take that it's a return to gold. I tend to agree that it would make sense to be a return to hard asset, but the central banks are buying gold. But when you look at the way that the media talks about it or that retail talks about it, de-dollarization is bricks or you know countries attempting not to use the dollar and pivoting towards trading directly in their own currencies which i find personally nonsensical uh, i mean what are your thoughts on bricks and the ability to de-dollarize in that manner by just simply not using the dollar right there's two forms one is just trading you know because right now you you have or what has been his recent history let's say you got a, a country a company in india and a company in China, and they're they're doing business with one another. Uh, the buyer is paying the seller in dollars, uh, and they're quoting their prices in dollars, and they're affecting the payments in dollars. And and so, de-dollarization in that sense would be invoicing each other in either RMB or uh, uh, rupee, right? Trading in their own currencies or trading in a third currency that wasn't the dollar, whether it was uh, the euro. Or you know something like that. So there's the transactional de-dollarization, but then there's the reserve de-dollarization. As far as what does a central bank hold as its primary reserve asset to defend the value of its currency? Because if you have currency that doesn't have any backing, you know what happens if the currency starts to collapse? How does the central bank protect the value? It has to buy back its currency units and shrink the money supply. Well, it needs an asset to sell to do that. Well, if dollars are your reserve asset, and if you're uh, India and the rupee is going down and you want to stabilize the rupee, you go into the market with dollars and buy rupees. You use your dollar reserves. Now, the de-dollarization would be substituting the dollar for something else. And there you could substitute for gold. Because now, if a central bank is holding a lot of gold and its currency goes down, it can use that gold to buy back currency. And so that's the other portion of de-dollarization in changing the composition of your reserves, going from dollars, in fact, going from fiat, which is you can have euros and pounds as reserves, but moving away from a fiat currency to back your fiat currency and backing your currency with real money. So now we have to talk about the inevitable, Peter. Bitcoin spot ETFs were approved. You're a huge fan uh, the asset is finally getting <laughs> credibility worldwide, and you're super excited about it. Well, I don't think it creates any credibility just because there's an ETF. Uh, you know, the SEC has allowed the ETF. They haven't endorsed it. They haven't blessed it. In fact, Gensler made it clear that he wasn't. It, this is not a recommendation of a Bitcoin just because there's a a Bitcoin ETF. Uh, it just means if you want to gamble on Bitcoin, you can do it through an ETF, and Wall Street can make those, you know, that gambling available. Um, but you know, I, I just, you know, don't think that people should be betting on uh, Bitcoin. I mean, that's really what the ETFs are for. I mean, it's almost an admission. If you buy the Bitcoin ETF, you're admitting you're not going to use your Bitcoin in any way, shape, or form 
like a cryptocurrency because you can't do anything with it. It's you're trusting a third party to store it. You're paying a storage fee. You don't have the keys. It's not your Bitcoin. You're simply buying a vehicle that allows you to participate in the price appreciation of Bitcoin, if there is any, or subject to the loss if it goes down. Uh, but it defeats the whole purpose of, of, of Bitcoin in the first place, which is to be away from Wall Street, to be away from counterparties, to be away from third party storage and fees and all that. So it's just, you know, it, 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 most people who who really are in favor of Bitcoin should be annoyed about the Bitcoin ETFs. But the reason that they're accepting Can't you make them, the same argument for gold? But can't you make the same argument for gold and gold ETFs? No, I mean, a gold bug obviously tells no. you that you should hold Bitcoin and custody yourself as protection, but then the ETF, no, you're, you know, not at somebody all, else's. Because people are not buying gold as a currency. They're buying it just to store it as a store of value. Um, but the and, and so the ETF just makes that storage more convenient because if you store the gold yourself, you still have to pay something. If I put it in my own safety deposit box or, you know, it's going it's, to the bank's going to charge me something. If I get it delivered to me, there's a freight cost to mail it, ship it out. Right. So there, there's some purpose that the ETF serves to kind of take away a lot of those transporting and, and other fees. Uh, but with Bitcoin, you know, you don't have that. There is no fee. I can go online. I can buy my Bitcoin, put it in my wallet. Doesn't cost me anything. I don't have to pay anybody. Uh, but Bitcoin was sold to the public as a cryptocurrency to be used to buy coffee and stuff like that. So people aren't buying gold to use it to buy a cup of coffee. But so nobody who's buying the Bitcoin ETFs is buying Bitcoin for any of the reasons it was originally created for. They're just buying it to bet that the price goes up and then they're going to sell it. Right. Because if you have a Bitcoin ETF. It isn't even possible to use your Bitcoin to make a purchase. You have to sell your ETF to get cash and then take that cash. So, you know, I, the, the, the real true Bitcoiners, you know, no, this is not what Bitcoin is for. But the reason the community is excited is because they think it's going to push up the price and make Bitcoin, you know, go up so that they can then sell their Bitcoin at a higher price to buy things that they want, you know. Well, I, I do think, to be fair, that there's quite a few people who want to own it in a manner that they can't or couldn't before in a regulatory compliant way. Well, I, right? I, mean, like, I institution... know when people initially were touting Bitcoin's advantage over gold, this is what they used to tell me. Well, gold, you need to store it somewhere. You need to pay somebody to store it. You know, you have a third party Bitcoin. You don't need any of that. Bitcoin is no third parties, no storage fees. But now it's like, OK, now it has a third party and it has a storage state. You've lost those those advantages <laughs> that was I was I was, you know, involved in Bitcoin, at least knowing about it and arguing about it from the very beginning, from 2009, 2010. So I've seen the evolution, how Bitcoin has gone from a cryptocurrency to just everybody accepting that it's never going to be a currency. It stinks as a currency. It's too slow. It's too expensive. It doesn't work. So now we've reinvented it as just something you buy and hold because it's going to go up, <laughs> even though you can't really do anything with it. It's just going to go up because everybody believes it's going to go up. And so nobody wants to sell it and everyone's going to buy it. And all I see these ETFs are this is an attempt to sucker in uh, more money into the Ponzi, you know, into the pyramid. So you need more people to buy it and hold it, you know, to keep the price to go up, you know. But eventually, it's just going to implode. It has to. Well, we do have a, you know, provable metrics on long-term holders and how long they've held and through how many cycles. So I, I wouldn't necessarily take the argument that those people are all going to eventually flip and sell well, and send it to zero. Right. I, the, I don't see what scenario would well, make the, you, the true. And listen, maybe that's a religious well, you fervor. Own, you, own, yeah. you own Bitcoin, right? I own both gold. And okay, Bitcoin, but yes. let's just focus on your Bitcoin. What do you plan to hold your Bitcoin until you're great, until you die, and then just leave your keys? Yes. To, so, so you're not yes. going to use any of your Bitcoin. You're just going to hold on to them, and then when you die, your children are going to inherit them. That's the bulk of the idea. Yes. And then, what are your children going to do after you die? Are they going to do the same thing? Are they going to keep their Bitcoin 
in, no, they're going to buy probably buy that silent yacht if we're being honest. Okay, but that's, so you know, now, their problem, so not now, <laughs> okay, so now, but in order to buy that silent yacht or anything, they have to sell their Bitcoin. Who's going to buy the Bitcoin from them? You're dead, so you can't do it. Well, I, I was sort of kidding, but uh, listen, I, I, there are parts of what you said that I actually wholeheartedly agree with. I think that the currency aspect of Bitcoin's luster has diminished, but not for maybe the reasons that you think. I, th I think that that's a function of the proliferation of stable coins, frankly. But, right. And, and, but, it's, and it's been proven, to, and then you'll make the same argument, that people around the world generally who maybe hardcore and early Bitcoiners believed would rush into Bitcoin to protect themselves against currency inflation or against... Uh, you know, predatory governments, what they've actually wanted is dollars, right? And they've gone to stable coins to do that. Yeah, so that I, part I, of it, I, I agree with, though, but I, I don't think that takes a, away the luster of people who are buying an ETF or Bitcoin the, as a store of value or an inflation right. the, the evolution of stable coins, though, is going to be a stable coin that's stable to gold, because then you kill two birds with one scone. You get the, 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 the convenience of a cryptocurrency as a medium of exchange, where somebody in America can instantly pay somebody in Australia for goods and services, like instantly and very inexpensively avoiding the banking system. You could do that with a, 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 a gold-backed token. Um, but it also gives you the store of value. And the, the thing that Bitcoin, again, they've reinvented Bitcoin as a store of value. But the problem is it can't be a store of value because you can't store what you don't have. Bitcoin has a price. It doesn't have a value. And a price is just a function of supply and demand. And what is somebody willing to pay for something? Uh, and, you know, and, and, and what is someone going to sell it for? Right. So Bitcoin has a price. And today, the price of Bitcoin is roughly what? Fifty one thousand dollars of Bitcoin. That's where the market is. But does that mean Bitcoin has fifty one thousand dollars worth of value? No, doesn't mean anything about the value. It's just that's the price that somebody is willing to pay for it. And you can't store a price. Because you don't know, you know, what the supply and demand dynamics are going to be at any given point in the future. Yes, Bitcoin's price could be a million. You literally know what the supply zero. and demand could dynamics be will be. Huh? Well, I mean, the demand for anything can go to zero. And no, the thing that, that where I struggle here is I'm not necessarily disagreeing with your argument. I just don't understand how that's no, vastly well, okay, different from gold, gold. Like why that only applies to Bitcoin. The price of gold can't go to zero um, because... If, if gold got anywhere near zero, you know, jewelers would just start gobbling it up because they needed to make jewelry. You know, chip manufacturers would gobble it up because they needed it in their chips. And in fact, the cheaper the price of gold gets, the more demand there is for gold because now people will use gold instead of copper, right, or whatever. I mean, as gold gets cheaper, there's more and more uses for it. Uh, and, and so it's a real, you know, thing, you know. You could take a look at a like a stock, a company stock. If you have a solid business, the price isn't going to go to zero for the stock because as the stock falls, the value is higher. The, the dividends, let's say a stock is paying a 5% dividend. If it goes down by 50%, it's paying a 10% dividend. Somebody is like, yeah, I want that income. I need that, that dividend. I mean, there's, there's buying into it because there's an objective value there. Bitcoin doesn't have value. It's not a commodity that you could use for something. It's not an income-producing asset like stock or real estate. It's, it's just a, a, a crypto you know, token that sits there and does nothing. Uh, and if somebody wants to buy it, the price can go up. If somebody wants to sell it, the price will go down. It's, it's all a function of what you perceive and what you're willing to do. But there's no objective standard of value. And there's nothing to stop Bitcoin from going to zero. You know, now you're going to say, well, if the price of Bitcoin went to a thousand, well, you know, maybe you'd want to buy more Bitcoin if the price went to a thousand. But a lot of people might just say, screw it. If it went from 50,000 to a thousand, it doesn't work. I don't want it. I'm going to sell it before it goes to a hundred. Right. It, it's blown up. Right. It's not like the cheaper Bitcoin gets, the more value it has. It's almost the reverse. If Bitcoin falls a lot, it kind of blows up the whole idea that it's a store of value, <laughs> that, that it's safe or something. So, it, 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 you know, it's a completely different dynamic. But I, I know that there's a lot of people that are caught up in the cult of Bitcoin and they just believe in it. And, they, and, and, and you know, they, they've kind of tuned out all the naysayers as just FUD, you know. Uh, but this is typical. This is, this is human nature. This is you know, how people react. There was an old, there was a very famous book, uh, 
popular delusions and the madness of crowds. And, you know, Bitcoin fits that perfectly. Is there anything that would ever change your opinion? Well, I, I can't imagine. I was going to ask the same, the, same, the same question. Well, it's certainly not going to be the price, right? Because I've had the same opinion on Bitcoin from a dollar to 50,000, right? So obviously the price is not uh, a function of it. I mean, as I said, what I've told people, what would actually have to happen to Bitcoin is if, if I wake up one day and I go to the store and all the prices are in Bitcoin, uh, you know, if if, you know, uh, everybody who I'm transacting with, if I if I'm renting out my office, my landlord wants to be paid in Bitcoin and it's not paid in Bitcoin. The rent is Bitcoin. This uh, office is uh, one Bitcoin uh, a month rent or whatever, or it's half a Bitcoin, you know, where people are actually able to price where people are making loans in Bitcoin. Yes. Loan me a Bitcoin and next year I'll pay you back a Bitcoin and uh, um, and plus 5% interest in Bitcoin, right? If we actually can use Bitcoin as a unit of account and as a medium of exchange, if that actually is, the, then I guess I'd say, shit, I guess I was wrong, you know? Um, but all I've seen in the entire time that I've been critical of Bitcoin is gambling. That's it. All of the, the new use, all of the, it's all been to buy it, to get rich, buy it, you know, and hold it and hold on for dear life, hold old diamond hands. And you too can buy a Lambo, right? You can get rich. Bitcoin's going to a million, right? That, that, that's it. You know, that, that nothing has changed. In fact, I think there was a moment in time back in 2017 where a lot of companies started saying, Hey, we're going to accept Bitcoin. We're going to have. All that is gone. There's actually, you know, no one even cares about it anymore, except the people who own it. That's the only people who care about it, the people who own it because they think they're going to get rich. And all the people who own it are out there prophesizing, trying to get more people to buy it. Right. Like they're like the Harry Kirshners of the investment world. You know, they're all, you know, they, they've got their movie projectors in their trunk and they'll come to your house and they'll show you a movie and they'll try to convert you into their religion. But Peter, question: When you were going back and forth with Scott earlier, and you asked Scott, are you, are you, "What would you, what will you do with your Bitcoin? Will you hold it till the day you die?" Scott said, "Yes." Will you give it to your children? What will they do with it? When? Well, isn't that the definition of store of value? Well, you have to be able to do something with the value you're storing. So, for example, if I'm storing gold, in theory, what I'm going to do with my gold is eventually I'm going to use it, I'm going to sell it so I can buy food, I can pay my rent. And now who am I going to sell it to? I'm going to sell it to a jeweler because they need it. I'm going to sell it to a dentist. I'm going to sell it to a semiconductor manufacturer. I'm going to sell it to any one of businesses that need that gold. <laughs> you know, there's, there's need. And I can actually sell it to another investor because he can buy it because he knows that he can sell it to a business that needs the gold. I mean, the reason I, I store gold as opposed to milk, right? Well, milk can go bad, right? You know, wheat, you know, and, you know, oil, you know, these things are, are, are difficult to store. I mean, gold is a commodity that you could store a lot of value in a very small space. So it's very convenient to storing it. Now, Bitcoin is convenient to store, except you're not storing anything. You don't have anything that anybody can use. You just got a worthless string of numbers. But then isn't the use case itself, if someone believes, just believing it's a store of value is not enough of a utility. So if others believe Bitcoin has proven itself over 10 years and is incomparable to gold, as a store of value, the price has been going up, it's outperformed other asset classes, it's gained, uh, you could at least say it's gained a bit more credibility with the ETF. I think we can yeah. agree on well, that. Maybe not enough. Look, doesn't that become enough of a utility? No, because betting on the continuation of an irrational belief is not a sound decision to make, right? Yes, as long as people keep believing that something that has no value has value, then the price could, you know, could, could stay up or keep rising. But the risk that you take is that one day people lose faith. One day they stop believing. And, you know, the longer you, you extrapolate into the future— the greater the probability that that's going to happen. Like, are people going to stop 
believing in Bitcoin tomorrow. It's possible, but it's very, very unlikely. I'm pretty sure uh, that people will want Bitcoin tomorrow. Well, what about in 100 years? The odds are very slim that in 100 years, anybody's going to want Bitcoin, if anybody even remembers the name Bitcoin. So the question is, you know, obviously between tomorrow and 100 years from now, there's some kind of risk curve for when people will no longer want Bitcoin. But, you know, I don't know when that is. I don't want to gamble on that. Um, you know, it's because it, it could be next year. I mean, next year is certainly possible that a whole year, a lot can happen in a year. Maybe Bitcoin blows up and nobody wants it, you know. Um, but it's all it's it's all about faith. Look, look how long people have have had faith in the dollar. The dollar is intrinsically worthless now since 1971. The dollar's been worthless, but you know it's hung around. But the dollar has a lot more to maintain the faith the faith than Bitcoin. But all fiat currencies will eventually go to zero. I mean, the dollar, if it's not backed by something, will eventually be worthless. Right? The question is when. I mean, the dollar has lost 99% of its purchasing power in the last 100 years. So from where the dollar was 100 years ago, it's practically worthless right now, right? If you buried, if somebody buried a dollar in the ground 100 years ago and you dug it up today, right? I mean, it's lost 99% of its purchasing power. Um, but, um, you know, but Bitcoin, I don't think is going to be able to have the longevity because it doesn't have as much institutional and government support in in the psyche of, of of the country uh that that the fiat you know dollar has um, so one of the we'd say one of the main arguments when you compare gold to bitcoin as a store of value is utility gold has more utility than bitcoin no, now bit, the first question utility, i have for bitcoin you has none i mean that's has none no okay so so are you a believer in the concept of decentralization and the blockchain yeah yeah i mean I think the blockchain has value. I think there are various ways to use, as I mentioned earlier, you can tokenize gold and put the tokens on a blockchain and, and use the blockchain to uh, to represent ownership of real gold. Uh, and, and you can then transfer that ownership uh, very, very, very easily uh, around the world. Uh, so yes, I mean, there are use cases for a blockchain uh, and I suppose you could do the same thing with Bitcoin, although Bitcoin is not as efficient for that because of the cost of, of moving it around. But if you were to, if you were going to tie, you know, certain things to a, to Bitcoin, but you have to do something with it to add value to something else. You can't say the token is the value. Now, I, I can get it if you say, well, you need the token to pay the gas to uh, affect the transaction. Then the token can have some value. Uh, but of course, you know, there's all kinds of blockchains. There's 20,000. I mean, you know, there's nothing special about Bitcoin. I mean, you can create a blockchain and there could be public blockchains, private blockchains. Uh, but you can't just create a blockchain. And the sole purpose of the blockchain is to have a native token that everybody gambles on. I mean, <laughs> that's not value. That doesn't do anything. Okay, so if, if there's value being created on the Bitcoin blockchain, would you then say that's enough utility to allow Bitcoin to act as a store of value? Well, I, you know, but a, a store of what value? I mean, you'd have to be able to figure out, you know, what that is worth, you know, and, and can you expect it to be stable over time relative to what people would be willing to pay for that particular service? But nobody even, nobody even questions that. That's not the point. People are saying Bitcoin is worth $50,000 just because, just because it's a Bitcoin. And um, and it's going to be worth more than that in the future because people are going to pay more for it. I mean, that's just it. I mean, there is no argument that it has value for any other purpose other than that it's scarce and more and more people are going to buy it. That's the value. There's 21 million Bitcoin and if all the money in the world wants to go into Bitcoin, I mean, that's what I hear now about the ETFs. People say, oh, people are going to start moving their money out of stock market ETFs uh, into Bitcoin ETF just because it's an ETF. All this money is now going to come into the Bitcoin ETFs and the price is just going to go way up because there's only 21 million Bitcoin, right? I mean, it's got nothing to do with utility or what it can do. It's all about the flows. Yeah, people are going to buy it. Well, what's going to happen if they don't? What's going to happen if the people that already bought the Bitcoin ETF decide they want to sell? 
Then what? <laughs> Who's going to buy all those Bitcoin that okay, hit the market? So for an asset to become a store of value, first it needs to have utility and store of value becomes a function of that utility. To, to go back to that initial question, if Bitcoin does create that utility as a blockchain where value is created on it, if it does achieve that and it solves issues such as latency, would you then consider this a path towards creating utility over time if price continues well, to, if, to, to, if, to be? If you're saying that Bitcoin has the potential to one day be a store of value, right? That's a better argument. Maybe one day it will be a store of value. But if you buy it now, you're just speculating on something in the future. It's not a store of value now. And you don't know what value it ultimately is going to have and what that value is going to be worth. You know, the, the way you know gold is a store of value, you can go back over the last 100 years, 200 years, 1,000 years, and you can relate the price of gold to all sorts of things. You can relate it to other commodities, you know, a wheat, you know, soybeans, copper, oil, uh, cattle, and you can decide, okay, over time, you know, how much oil can I buy for an ounce of gold? How many bushels of wheat can I buy for an ounce of gold? You can get an idea of what gold is worth in terms of other commodities. You can also compare gold to financial assets. You can compare it to the stock market. You can compare it to the real estate market. And so you can have an idea of what gold is worth and, and, and when gold is expensive or cheap in relation to other financial assets or other commodities. You can't do that with Bitcoin. You can't say, oh, okay, what is, how many Bitcoins should I need to buy a, a bushel of wheat? Who the hell knows? I mean, you only have a 12-year history, and during the 12 years, Bitcoin was a penny and Bitcoin was 70,000. I mean, it's had such a wild, you can't come to any kind of metric. But, you know, assuming Bitcoin could be around a thousand years from now, you may be able to draw these uh, uh, parallels to say and, and then figure out what Bitcoin is actually worth. With the good news is that but right the good now, news there's no way. I, Sorry, go ahead. Was... It's just you're just gambling. You're, you're buying it. If you're buying Bitcoin, you're not storing anything. You're not buying it as a safe haven. It's not an alternative to gold. It is a speculative digital token. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe it will be a store of value at some point in the future, but it's not one now. <laughs> so you're you're gambling on something that may or may not happen. Mm. So that makes it very different. That's why Bitcoin can't be a substitute for gold. People that think central banks will own Bitcoin, they'll never own Bitcoin. I mean, not in the foreseeable future because it's not a stable asset. You can't hold your Bitcoin as a reserve against your currencies because if your currency goes down, you'd have no goddamn idea where Bitcoin's going to be. Bitcoin could be crashing more than your so, currency. So I'm just going to, Scott, I'm going to give you the mic. I'm going through the comments. Uh, if anyone has a question or comment for... Uh, for Peter, just put it in the comments, bottom right corner. I see William, he makes a point that kind of relates to, uh, uh, Scott, what you were talking with Peter about. He says, Bitcoin has utility as a financial instrument, although not enough, I admit. We need to see it more. We need to see in it more financial products outside of ETFs. So we need new financial products available in Bitcoin only. Um, your thoughts on this? Well, I, I, I can, I, I can take that a step further, Peter, because it was the next question that I sort of had. Um, even if you feel that way about Bitcoin, obviously, you have expressed that there's some value in blockchain. You obviously launched an ordinal at one point, right? So you understand Bitcoin is the right. base layer for that. What do you make of this sort of yes. Cambrian explosion now? of building on the Bitcoin network. I'll be honest, I find 99% yeah, of it speculative, yeah, but uh, what do you make of that uh, as a part of the argument, even if you don't believe the asset itself or the token has value, utilizing that as the network with the highest liquidity and, and obviously the largest TVL? Yeah, I mean, look, I came out with that ordinal. We, I made an actual painting. I commissioned a painting, uh, Golden Triumph, and then we created 50 of these ordinals that could be on the Bitcoin net worth and, and we sold them, you know, and uh, I just I just noticed one of them sold the other day. I mean, so whoever bought it, somebody sold it. I don't think they're selling the original. When I originally did it, you got a signed um, a signed uh, print, numbered print. Uh, and then you also got the ordinal that went with the print. And I guess, you know, people can do what they want if they can sell them together or break them up. But I noticed that one sold the other day. It's like Magic Genie or some there's some website um, where uh, you can buy and sell ordinals. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, 
you know, there, there's, there's an actual image, you know, you get a digital image of the painting, but I try to use it to authenticate. And I thought that, yes, you know, could you use blockchain to authenticate like ownership of real assets? Could a deed to a real estate be on a blockchain? Could title to your car be on a blockchain? Yeah. I mean, it seems like that would be a lot more efficient yeah, uh, you know, I always seem to be misplacing my pink slip or, you know, trying to find stuff. I mean, it would be nice if you could sell your car. You didn't have to go down and, you know, the DMV, you could just sell your car and, you know, acknowledge it on the blockchain. And now the new owner just has your car and the blockchain recognition, you know, uh, that you have title and you don't have to hire a lawyer when you do real estate to do a title search. If you had the entire history of the property on a blockchain that was verifiable. Yeah, you know, I so I can see that happening and different ways to utilize blockchain. But none of that has to do with Bitcoin at 50,000, right? I mean, it's like, it, 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 they're two very separate things. You could have real a real uh, thing there beneath the surface. But right now it's all caught up in gambling on the tokens. And, 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 you know, it's become a mania in and of itself. And, and, and so there's hardly any, any, any way to separate it. And nobody wants to work on anything other than the tokens, right? That's where all the money is. All the money is, is, is creating tokens and selling them. These are other cryptos or for Bitcoin, all the money is in buying it, you know, or trading it or hoping it goes up. Now they're creating these ETFs to try to profit from other people. It's like, the ETFs are the equivalent of casinos. It's more casinos where you can gamble on Bitcoin. I find it so interesting. That we, go ahead. Please. So, uh, so, so we have, we at least, please, it's not you say please to me, but we have at least a path. So what I like in this discussion, uh, Peter agrees that if, if there's enough utility on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, then in his mind, there is a path to a store of value, which I think is a, is a fair argument. Now, obviously, um, we don't. I don't fully agree with Peter, but I think it's a very fair argument. Peter, is that is that a good summary of of kind of where we can meet in the middle, Peter? Yeah, well, I said there could be a store of value at some point, but also you'd have to be able to figure out what does Bitcoin offer in that respect that other blockchains that use different crypto tokens, whether they're a stable coin or it's stable to. Uh, um, you know, a currency or stable to a commodity like gold or some other commodity. Uh, you know, what does Bitcoin offer that's unique or advantageous to any of those other ones that would give it an additional uh, uh, value? You know, obviously, if, if Bitcoin was the only blockchain that existed and anything that was going to be related to a blockchain had to take place on that blockchain, that would be one thing. But to the fact that there's an unlimited amount of competition, both now and in the future, that would also diminish its potential value and therefore its ability to store that value. Well, I think you'd argue the size of the market, the decentralized nature, and obviously the provable supply reduction and fixed supply are arguments for that. But I do find it interesting that... Yeah, but there are other cryptocurrencies that have the same. Yeah, but that's useless without a network effect, and without uh, it's, it's useless without the network effect that Bitcoin has. Yeah, but you could take another network and develop over time. I mean, it's just you know, the longer the time period, the more opportunity there are for more networks to develop. I'm going to take a couple of questions from the audience. Gabby is asking, "Do you own Bitcoin, Peter?" No, I mean, I owned a, I owned some for uh, one point. And I didn't buy it. It was I had some gifted to me over the years, uh, but it all got lost when uh, the wallet that I was using, <laughs> the company, the company that had the wallet, decided to just change something. Damn it! I think it dropped out for me, Scott. I want to know how much he had and, and how much he lost. I can hear you, can but you not him. Scott? Yeah, yeah, I know. I think it dropped out, but I, I, I like that the fact that we've reached some sort of middle ground, and, and I, I, I think his argument is. Is not outlandish. I think there's some sort of middle ground. Even William put out a comment in the in the in the in the in the comment section. He said it's it's balance, balance between speculation and utility. And he agreed that yes, we need to create more utility, but it doesn't mean Bitcoin is worth zero. It's worth you know depends your belief in utility being created to allow that to allow 
a reason for Bitcoin to act as a store of value. Now, obviously, you can have a counter argument to that where the store of value itself is a utility, um, but that's where Peter disagrees. Yeah, I'm just curious Scott? if Peter can hear us. Can you hear us and can you speak? Because I know he was out. Yeah, I think he was about no, no, he's got his out phone. of time. No, he's... he's yeah, no, he's out of time. He's still on stage. His phone just dropped out. He's he's got like three minutes. Yeah, left. what I heard, to what I heard speaking to him was that he's a switches. huge NFT bull. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. Uh, I, one one question I wanted to ask is when does he think Bitcoin is going to zero? Because he did make the argument that the his argument doesn't mean Bitcoin is going to zero tomorrow. It could take a very long time for that to happen. And he used he used the comparison to the U.S. dollar. Um, so on March twelfth, I'll tell you on March twelfth of twenty twenty. Uh, very temporarily, and at least on BitMEX, it came very, very close. So on, on that point, I think it's a great discussion with Peter. Um, I always enjoy those back and forth, and I like how you kicked it off with a macro discussion. Uh, Peter, I don't know if you can hear us. I think you're in the audience now. I'll send you an invite to speak if it works for you to kind of wrap up and get your final thoughts. Uh, but if it doesn't work, uh, we'll give it a minute. But if it doesn't work, I think it's a good discussion. Yeah. Let us know what you think in the comments on the back and forth with Peter and on that middle ground where Bitcoin in his mind could act as a store of value. You see, to create yeah, more utility. Mario, I think it's interesting and people should give credit. The ethos of the core ethos of Bitcoiners and what they believe actually aligns, I think, exceptionally well with Peter's beliefs. Uh, we just, I think, disagree on the asset that is the solution. But every time we speak to him as much as, you know, he makes a good arch nemesis to Bitcoiners, I think Bitcoiners would agree with 98% of what he says, right? When it comes to that macro that we talked about, when it comes with the problems with the central banks, when it comes to needing a hedge, all of those things, those are common to gold bugs and Bitcoiners and many other people alike. So, I mean, you can be triggered by the fact that he hates Bitcoin. That's up to you to believe what he believes or not. But I think we all agree on the core problems that need a solution. Agree. Cool. I think it's a good good place to leave it. Um, I love the discussion. Let us know what you think in the comments, bottom right corner. Oh, Peter's back. I don't know what happened. There. I had a uh, Peter. Stop working. Yeah, you're back, Peter. Perfect timing. Yeah. So, so Peter, kind of okay, two two final questions because I know it's, it's over time. First one, we got another question from the audience. I can't remember what the handle was. When do you think? Bitcoin will go to zero if you had to make it better. That's from Roger Mayhem. Oh Well, first of all, zero is a very low number. So, you know, even stocks that go bankrupt and in theory they should be at zero, they don't go to zero. I mean, people trade worthless shares for pennies. So I, I don't, I mean, when it goes to zero, I think, you know, it could be a long, long time before nobody in the world is willing to pay even a penny for a Bitcoin. So I don't know. But Let's just say, you know, below 100, right? I mean, obviously, if Bitcoin is below 100, for all intent and purpose, for anybody who paid $50,000 of Bitcoin, it may as well be zero, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's only at 100, right? I mean, I, I guess, you know, um, but I don't know. You know, I don't know. I mean, it surprises me, to be honest, that it's still as high as it is. And, of course, now that it's got these ETFs, in theory, you know, uh, that could extend this thing for a while. Um, but so I don't know. I think one of the things that's helping Bitcoin is the fact that gold is not really going up a lot. Uh, because the entire time that Bitcoin has really been on the radar, gold has been flat. And so that has allowed a lot of people to say, hey, look, this is better than gold, right? Gold doesn't go up and look how much Bitcoin has gone up. But I think if we have a period of time where Bitcoin is trending sideways and gold really starts to break out, gold goes to 3,000, 4,000, uh, which it could do you know, very quickly. I mean, it could easily do that in any given year. And if the price of Bitcoin goes sideways or goes down, I think that could be do a lot to undermine this marketing scheme behind Bitcoin that, hey, gold is no good, gold doesn't work anymore, uh, you know, you got to buy Bitcoin because once gold is performing, and that again is a function of central bank credibility, it's not a big issue in Bitcoin because Bitcoin's got nothing to do with that. Bitcoin is going up because of its own supply and demand dynamics, its own speculative speculation and uh, illiquidity and the concentration. I mean, almost all the Bitcoin is held by just a few really big people. Yeah, there's a lot of wallets out there, but the typical Bitcoin wallet doesn't have a lot of money in it as far as value. Um, 
you know, you talk about a distribution of wealth. I mean, it's very, very unequal distribution in the Bitcoin ecosystem. You have, you know, what, what, what would you say? The, the top 10% of the wallets, would you say they've got 90% of the value of the Bitcoin? I think that's probably fair. Yeah. I mean, so it's like very concentrated. Uh, and, and so, um, it, it, the, it, it, it's not going to work, you know, if you undermine the, the narrative because you, it, you need more and more people to come in so that the, the, the big guys can get out and they have to slowly feed it into the market. But once the little guys that bought in lose confidence that then the big guys can't get out. <laughs> Oh, final question. Yeah. I, honestly, I think I think we covered it. And I know Peter has to go. We're over his time, so I want to be respectful of that. So, Peter, will you do? Will you go into the hyperbaric chamber after this chat? Probably, yeah. Cool. Great way to end it. Enjoy the chamber. Well, you the good news is, back on the, the good show. news, Mario, is that you and Peter are going to be here in a thousand years to tell us if Bitcoin's reached its uh, network effect. <laughs> I don't think it extends my life that much, but if AI can somehow figure it out, you know, that's what my, my, my son, who used to be a big fan of Bitcoin, now doesn't really pay much attention to it. He's, he's all, Wait, you know, Spencer's not with us anymore. He, well, he doesn't really care about it anymore. He thinks it's all immaterial because of AI. He's like, so, oh, you know, he just thinks AI is going to make everything obsolete. So I don't know. I think he's a little bit overexcited about would you, AI, would, would, the way he was overexcited about, about Bitcoin for a while. But but he's he's moved on. He's lost. He's lost his interest. But again, you know, I, I would suggest that the people who are listening to this, to the extent that you own Bitcoin, just recognize that you're you're you own a speculative asset and maybe it'll go way up, but maybe it'll go way down. And just make sure that you don't have more in Bitcoin than you're willing to lose. And if you're not willing to lose everything that you've got in Bitcoin, then sell enough Bitcoin to the point where you are comfortable losing what you've got left. That's what you've got to do. You've got to take chips off the table if you're not willing to lose them. And, you know, hedge yourself by, you know, investing in some stocks. You know, I like to, you know, that, you know, look at my mutual funds or buy some gold or gold stocks and stuff like that. You know, that, that's what I'm doing with my money. And so to the extent you want to, put a little bit on the don't pass line of the Bitcoin, you know, gamble, you know, take a look at some of the things that I'm doing. Because I have the same concerns that a lot of people who are buying Bitcoin have. I am just uh, taking different course of action to protect myself and profit from those concerns. And so if you have similar concerns, then you might consider adopting my strategy in part. You know, don't go all in on Bitcoin. So to one, one quick question, Peter, and request for the audience. For the audience, let us know what you agree with and disagree with. I want both, if you can, uh, with the discussion we just had with Peter in the bottom right corner in the, in the circle, in the comment section. And Peter, would you do a space or a show with us in the future with Spencer joining? Do you think he'll accept? Well, you know, he's always been a little shy of doing these. He did one, I think. So you could always reach out to him. Hey, meanwhile, if anybody's on this, everybody should try to follow me on Twitter. I've been trying to get up to a million followers. And these last 10,000, it's been really slow. I keep losing followers at night and it's like months and months go by. I'm at 994,100 and change. So I, I, I need less, less than 6,000 to get to a million. So everybody who's on this call, if you're not following me, follow me. Guys, we can do it running. right now. We can literally I, get Peter to a million right now. I'd like and then to he's going to buy, he'll buy one Bitcoin if he gets, uh, <laughs> if he gets to a million by the end of the show. Well, it's not worth that much to me. I'm not going to spend $1,000. What? You could sell it. You could sell it to some sucker, Maybe. as you said, a day later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll take a sap. How much is this Satoshi? Very <laughs> much, man. <laughs> Peter, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so right, much. Thank you, guys. Bye. Awesome. Bye, everyone.